Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Today on the Beeson Podcast, we have with us Steve Brown. I think this is going to be a fun interview. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, partly because uh, Steve is known as a, a pastor, he's a seminary professor, he's a writer, an author, uh, also a, a radio personality. Uh, he has a, has a program many of us have listened to for a number of years called Key Life. And somebody described that program like this. This show is like one of those ultra-chic fusion restaurants with unlikely yet delicious combinations. It's thought-provoking and genuinely funny. There's finally something on the radio with a Christian perspective that is not brainless dogmatism. (laughs) Steve, is that right? Dr. George, I'm going to call you and ask you to read that to me at least once a week. (laughs) Listen, that that makes me feel good. Now, how did you become Steve Brown? <laughs> Do you want to lecture on sex or what? What is? <laughs> no, no, where I, were you born, and oh, how did in, you? I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, okay. and uh, somehow I thought you were from Boston. You, did you ever live in Boston? I spent a lot of years in Boston. I went to uh, graduate school at Boston University for seminary, and then I uh, served a church on Cape Cod for a number of years, and one in a south shore of Boston and Quincy for a number of years, and then uh, decided to become a Buddhist and moved to Florida. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, and then the rest of my ministry has been in Florida. But I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, and uh, and we were just there for a vacation with our grandchildren and our daughters and their husbands, and we had a... I always thought I'd move back, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. You have a voice that was made for radio. I do. I'm very good looking too. Well, I would say about people, that. But. People don't know that. I mean, but those who are look who are watching on television know. No, it's you know it's a shock to people when they see what I look like and they've heard my voice and they've been expecting the Marlboro Man and I show up. Well, you're a handsome fellow, but you yeah. But, but but you have a voice that that carries great power with it. Is that something you've always had, or yes, did you it take is. training in rhetoric or anything? To Dr. Talk George, like that? no, I really haven't. But I, uh, you know, I was in forensics a lot in high school and college. But it was because of the voice, not in order to get the voice. It's really like grace. I. Uh, you know, I'd like to be humble and say, well, it is an okay voice. But it's not. It's the best voice you ever heard. And, yeah, and uh, I had nothing to do with it. My mother said it sounded like a burp when I came out of the <laughs> womb. And I, and I really, uh, it really is like grace. And a, a history teacher in high school uh, who had flunked me and cried when she did and changed my life said, Steve, you have to be so careful what you say because people will listen. Mm. And so I see it as a genuine gift from God over which, like all other gifts, I had no control. It was grace. People do listen because of the voice, and I feel constrained to make sure that I say something that makes a difference in their lives about Jesus. And so far I've done that about 82% of the time. (laughs) That's great. Now tell us how a person from North Carolina got to Boston, got to Florida, got to Key Life. Uh, How did you become a Christian? Well, I 
I became a Christian uh, at Montreat uh, mm-hmm. when I was 16. It was not a crusade, but Mr. Graham was speaking. And Is that why you're a Presbyterian, by the way? No, I was a Methodist. Yeah. My mother still in heaven tells God that I'm a Methodist missionary to Presbyterians. <laughs> Uh, but I, but and I and I, I shook hands with Mr. Graham and I made a commitment. Then I went to college and I went through what a lot of us did in college. Uh, my major was philosophy and I went through a period of agnosticism and blackness and darkness. But since the age of two, I've known that I was going to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I think God did that because he knew mm. I wouldn't like it. And mm. if he didn't hammer it in early, I'd run. Mm. So uh, so I've always known when other kids were going to be cowboys and policemen, I was going to be a, a minister or whatever. And uh, But once I got out of college, it's hard to do that if you don't believe anything. But I couldn't get that monkey off my back. Mm-hmm. So I found out at Boston University, they didn't believe anything, and I didn't either. And I found out I could still be a reverend and not believe anything. Mm. So I went there, and uh, that's when our younger daughter uh, got very sick the day she was born. She lived, and you people can't see this, but I'm pointing to your window. Mm. She and her husband lived on that hill just above Beeson. Uh, he was chief resident at one of the hospitals here, and so we visited here a lot. She was the one. She was a day old, and her blood count was rising rapidly, and her her leg was maudlin. It wasn't getting any nourishment, and uh, and the doctor said this isn't good. We've called in specialists. When the blood count gets at a certain point, we're gonna we're gonna give her the complete blood transfusion that happens to. You know, they did with baby, and there was a high mortality rate in those days. And I, and, and Dr. George, I'm not a nice person, but my redeeming value is my family, and I, and I just fell apart. Two weeks before that, I'd met some Anglican charismatics at Rock Harbor Manor on Cape Cod, and I thought they were wacko. Told them so. And they, uh, they said, we understand you have a new little girl. Uh, and I started crying, and they prayed for her. Hmm. <clears throat> and my wife was still in the hospital, and she said, "Did, did uh, she called the next morning and said, Honey, did anybody pray last night? And I said, Yeah, they did. And she said, The doctor came in this morning and said, This is miraculous. The blood count is normal, and the, and the leg is getting nourishment, and we don't know why. That was a... A major day in my life. Uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't even sure God was there. And I had buried enough babies to know of godly parents, and mm. I wasn't. And I mm. didn't get that. Mm. And it took six years of reading things that you always knew, and I just discovered. And some brothers who stood with me and loved me enough to tell me the truth. I thought I was an intellectual. I wasn't. They really were. And uh, at the end of that six years at a church in Boston, I knelt down and said, God, I'm not good, but I'm yours. Mm, mm. And Dr. George, that's how I became the spiritual giant who sits here <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> well, thank you for your honesty. I mean, one one of the things that uh, I like about you uh, 
you're a Presbyterian, you, you know the rules, uh, but, but you have a great sense of grace in your ministry. You talk about giving people three free sins. What is that? Well, I just signed a contract with Simon Schuster Howard uh, uh, for a book called Three Free Sins. It has three apples on the front, <laughs> and uh, it's God's door to the sacred. And uh, you're Baptist. I forgive you for it. Uh, but uh, but you're Reformed, and that overcomes a multitude of sins. But we, but it's nothing but Reformed theology taken seriously. Dr. George, you and I both know that some Calvinists can be mean. And I don't get that. See, I didn't come from that. And so when I read Karl Barth, and he led me to John Calvin, and I began to read, I thought, I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm elect. I, God will never change his mind. I'll get home before the dark. I don't have to be right. I don't have to pretend to be good. I, I really took that stuff seriously, and then I hit the wall of Calvinism. Mm. And so I, so this book is really Reformed theology taken to the wall. It started with a joke. Uh, our friend Tal Prince is here, and he's heard this story, but... And I may tell it tonight, but but we used to have a talk show daily. And if you were a Christian and you called, you got three free sins. <laughs> and if you called on a cell phone, you got six free sins. And one lady called me up and went ballistic. She said, Steve, I like this program, but that's blasphemous. I said, all right, I'll give you four. <laughs> and she said, no, you don't understand. This is awful. And I said, all right, I'll give you five, but I'm not going any higher than that. And then uh, our producer got on the air and said, Lady, get a life. Steve doesn't give free sins. And so we put on one of our websites, our talk show website, which is still going, three apples. And if you click it, it's still there. If you click it, you can send three free sins to your friends. Mm. Uh, and it's an evangelistic tool. It says, if you're not a believer... Uh, everything on this website is free, but you have to pay for your own sins. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we also put a Playboy uh, icon on ah. the website. And if you if you click that, you went to Campus Crusade for Christ. <laughs> we, <laughs> it stayed on for two days, and Jesus said, "Take it down." And, and I said, "But it's funny." He said, "I know it is, but it lacks integrity." <laughs> Yeah. But that's how the three free yeah. sins. And so it's just simply an exposition of imputation and justification from a reform perspective. Not only do you have three free sins, you have unlimited sins because the blood of Christ is sufficient. Yeah. And uh, so that's the idea. Right. And the, yeah. the title is going to make is going to make me rich. It's a I wonderful may make time. A, I may listen. I may establish a foundation or something at Beeson. I'm for it. If actually, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get anything for those books. They all let the royalties go to Q Life. Yeah. Well, uh, you've had the the pen. Maybe your background is a part of this, but but you have a way of of speaking uh, to people with whom you disagree in a in a civil but yet convictional way. I don't hear a lot of that in the church today. I really don't either, and I. And that saddens me, and I know it does you, mm -hmm. because you have that gift, too. Uh, Tony Campolo and I did a television program together. for, and, and you need to know that Tony and I don't agree about anything except Jesus. Mm -hmm. But we love each other. Yeah. 
And uh, I don't like New York. If I lived in New York and hell, I would live in hell and rent out New York. That's. But I went there and did those weekly shows for a year. And Tony didn't have time to do it either. But we, we've loved each other for a long time. And we decided that there's a problem in the church, the one you just addressed. And we said, we're going to argue about everything, and we're going to show people how two guys can love each other and do this. So it was called Hashing It Out. It was on the Odyssey Network. And all over the country where I went, the comment I heard more than any other is, you guys really do love each other, don't you? But I can do that with... uh, I'm on the board of Harvest USA and through them meet a lot of gay and lesbian people. I don't agree with that lifestyle. But good heavens, if the Bible's right, I'm as messed up as they are, just in different areas, so I can talk to them. Tell us about Harvest USA. I think that's one of the very interesting ministries in the church today. It really is. It's... uh, we have, uh, it started in Philadelphia with my beloved friend, John Freeman, who was out of that lifestyle. And 10th Presbyterian there is right in the heart of the gay community. And he kept walking out and thinking, you know, somebody came to me. Who's going to go to them? Mm-hmm. So it started under the aegis of uh, 10th and then later became a, a separate ministry. We have a large ministry in Pittsburgh and one in Chattanooga. And we're establishing others. And it's a ministry to sexually broken people. It started just gay and lesbians. In fact, everybody on the staff, by and large, was gay. They now are are living a a celibate lifestyle. A lot of people on the board, I told the Lord when I thought he was telling me to do it, I said, they're going to think I'm gay. And he said it would be good for you. <laughs> so, so at any rate, so they are, they're compassionate. They never compromise truth. They're loving. They're kind. Uh, and they go as beggars telling other beggars where they found bread. And that's all. And they're teaching the church to be sensitive to the sexually broken. Yeah, that's a wonderful uh, word, it, oh, I think. On it's this. a wonderful ministry. Yeah. You ought to have John and some of his guys down yeah. for this. It would be good for the students to hear from them. That's great. Uh, you, you spend a lot of time with pastors. You teach young pastors in the seminary. Uh, a lot of pastors today are burning out in oh. ministry. It's just a great, uh, almost a plague uh, in the church. Uh, what has kept your ministry going for so long, and what do you say to young pastors who are facing uh, the stress and the temptations of our day? We, Dr. George, we have over 4,000 pastors on our mailing list. And, uh, and if you write Key Life uh, or email us or call, you probably won't, I probably won't see it or hear the phone call. If you're a pastor, it goes immediately to my desk. Subsequently, I spend hours every week writing to and talking with and praying with pastors. Uh, as a result, we created a poopedpastors.com website just for them, a safe place. You can't get on. Nobody's trying to hustle you. No, you can't get on unless you're a pastor, and we see your ordination papers. And uh, it's just a hard time. It's really hard. You know, when you and I started this thing, we got respect. I got complimentary memberships to the country club. The department stores would give us uh, discounts. 
Today, they don't even want us to come in there. Mm. I mean, we, we're right above prostitutes and just below lawyers mm-hmm. in the list. So you've got that. You've got also a culture that has changed incredibly. The whole postmodern thing has in some ways been a gift, as Weber says, but in other ways um, is really painful for pastors. There's an anti-authoritarian view. And, you know, at our seminary we say they put you six feet above everybody else, shine a spotlight on you and give you a microphone and tell you to be humble. <laughs> well, that in, there was a day... Uh, when that position was one of great respect. Today, it makes people angry. Anybody who says, I'm right and you're wrong, deal with it. And we are right. That creates problems. Then we've got all the family and sexual and financial problems. It's just, you know, if you're not called, run. Uh, If you're Mm -hmm. called, then uh, get brothers around you because it's a hard place to be. And what you're doing here, and I don't know when people will be listening to this, and you've been doing it for 28 years, I rise up and call you blessed. I mean, what a need, what a gift you're giving to pastors. You know, when Beeson Divinity School was begun by a Presbyterian layman, Ralph Waldo Beeson, he gave us a one-sentence, really a one-phrase mission statement. He said, I want you to train pastors who can preach. Such a simple, but wow, what a loaded statement. Because pastors who can preach are not just preachers who happen to have a church. Uh, Pastors, it talks about their identity as shepherds. And then the preaching, the proclamation is a central part of that ministry has to flow out of their identity. So, we work on that at a lot of I didn't know this was founded by a Presbyterian. Yes, Ralph Makes Alderson. me feel a little bit better about this place. <laughs> now, his father was a Methodist, so we, we're interdenominational. <laughs> I'm a Baptist, but all yeah. God's children are welcome here. Um, let me ask you about preaching, because that's something you obviously do a lot of. Is that what you teach at the seminary? I and teach that a couple of other courses, uh-huh. but mo- they call it communications, but right. that's what it is. What is preaching, and how do, how do you teach it? Uh, preaching, um, the rector at Trinity Church in Boston, Phillips Brooks, and you've heard that. I mean, we've all, every preacher's heard this in seminary. Divine preaching is truth through personality. That was a very profound statement when he said it, but it is incredibly profound in our time. Uh, the whole cultural shift, whatever it is, Postmodernity or whatever requires authenticity. It requires honesty. It requir- requires that we not, from the pulpit, uh, be affected with our speech and our demeanor. And so he didn't know it because he lived in what was modernity or the beginning of it. And and as we've as this cultural shift has taken place, that definition of preaching is incredibly deep, mm. truth through personality. And, uh, and so uh, there, I teach students. By the way, I'm emeritus now. Uh, when this pastor's thing started, my wife said, you're going to have to give up something, and I hope it's not me. <laughs> and if I had waited one second, I'd have been in deep trouble. So <laughs> I went to Rick and said, I, I'm out of here. And he, and he said, you can't. It's not a good time. And I said, well, you said that last time and the time before. But I do, I, I'm out of here. And, and so I agree. I teach four courses a year at our different campuses. Mm-hmm. 
and half of those are preaching. So I still do it. I this is Reformed it. Theological yes, Seminary right. for our listeners. Yeah. It is. <clears throat> and, um, and preaching is an exciting place to be. It really, When I teach lab classes, for instance, uh, I don't believe there's a classical sermon model. You know, used to be when you and I were doing our academic work, there was this classic view of preaching, and insofar as you got to it, you got a good grade. Mm -hmm. And the further away you got from it, the lower the grade. That's burn those books. That's not true anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, because of what Phillips Brooks said, truth through personality. And so I try to do two things with students. I try to define their personality who they are and where they come from and where their hot buttons are. And then I critique their preaching in the context of who they are, not in the context of where of classical preaching. Because I believe that this is an exciting time, by the way, Mm. for preachers. Mm. It's an awful time. Mm. If you didn't meet the devil, you're probably going in the same direction. And, And a part of the hardness of the pastorate, is as as Weber said, uh, we're back in the first century. With this, we don't have any power. We don't have any money. We 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 don't have the prestige. So we're going to have to do it Jesus' way. <laughs> and look what Jesus did and his disciples. And Weber says that we need to go to the scriptures and become what they were to a culture that is not dissimilar to theirs. The Bible, you mentioned the scriptures. Uh, evangelicals, you know, have fought about the Bible. We all believe the Bible. Uh, how does the Bible actually factor into this task of preaching in a postmodern world? When people, many people don't want to have any kind of authority, much less one that we say is inerrant, infallible, inspired, and all the rest. And it is. It is, yes. Uh, Grady Wilson <laughs> used to say from my pulpit when I was a pastor in Miami, used to hold up his Bible and say, I didn't say it, God said it. And, you know, you do that today, and they're going to crucify you. You just can't do that. Uh, well, you can. If you laugh and people love you and they know you love them, you can say that. Uh, the cool thing, my colleague at RTS, and he is now heading up Third Mill Ministries, is Richard Pratt. Richard wrote a book, and by the way, he's very solid on his doctrine of inspiration in Scripture. But he wrote a book called He Gave Us Stories. And so what God has done is said, look, let me show you how I did it. I gave you stories. Jesus gave us stories. So as we move from modernity to post-modernity, we must lead with story and follow with proposition. In modernity, we led with proposition, and we followed with story. And so preaching is really key, and story is very important. My story, your story, and certainly the story of Scripture. And Scripture scripture is the rock on which we stand. I believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Uh, But most people think I don't. Yeah. (laughs) But I do. I and uh, and I love the scriptures, and I've been teaching the scriptures all my life, and uh, we can't ever waver on that. And and when when our leaders waver on that, we need to kick them out. Mm, that's a good that's a good but a prophetic word, maybe, <laughs> yeah, right. which to bring this discussion to a close. I've been talking to uh, Steve Brown. He is. Uh, a well-known radio minister through Key Life. He's been a pastor, a writer, a professor. 
It's been a joy to have you on this discussion. God bless you, Steve. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and support. Beeson Divinity School is an evangelical, interdenominational divinity school training men and women for service in the Church of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work And we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.